Morning, all. Morning, church. Morning to those of you with us online as well. As that brief slide said, we're gonna, you're going to get this morning a one-sermon series called Be the Church as we think about who we are, where we are, as we head into the beginning of a new church year. But before we do that, I want to uh, take just a minute to pray and ask you if you'd stand with me, everyone in the auditorium. If you're home, feel free to stand as well, if you'd like, in your homes. Join me as we just take a minute to pray. Our God and Father, we come to you uh, this morning in a time of great trouble in different places in our world. And I want to take just a minute this morning to pray for the country of Afghanistan. I want to first pray, Lord, for the people, many that we will never know, the people of this uh, country, some many who've lost their lives, families who've lost a loved one. We pray for the end of violence. We pray for the protection of life in these days, these weeks ahead. We lift up to you the 13 families of Americans that were lost uh, very recently in an incident that we all know about. Lord, we pray that those families would know our gratitude and they would know your peace. We pray for the safe exit, Lord, of all of those, at least scheduled, both Americans, Afghanis, other uh, international uh, um, nationalities, other people who are scheduled to leave or scheduled to leave. We pray for safety, Lord, and um, a uh, ability to leave um, this place. We thank you, God, despite this situation that has um, taken place, that um, good has been done in the last 20 years, despite what we often may think in a moment like this. We, we thank you for the church of Jesus Christ, uh, in this country that has grown in number in the last 20 years. We pray for those um, individuals, families, that you would use this um, season to deepen, protect, and, and develop them. We pray for the changes that have happened in the quality of life that we may not know about through um, your perfect uh, sovereignty in the last 20 years, Lord, that somehow, some way, you would use it for your purposes. Sovereign Lord, we know that very often what is meant for evil in this world is used by you for good. We pray that this would be the case in this situation for all involved, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me have a seat. As I said, I want to take just one uh, sermon this morning, one series sermon, to talk about the season we're all living in, not that crisis I just mentioned, but let's call it the pandemic crisis that we are all living in. It's really unlike anything we've ever experienced before. So it's the only time I can think of, but I think this would probably be true for my, my peers and even my predecessors, it's the only time that I can speak about a difficulty, a crisis, you know, that actually touches every single age and stage, right? This isn't just an adult thing. It's not just a, you know, economy thing. It's not just, you know, Wall Street thing. It's not just a kid thing or a student thing. Every single person listening to me today has been impacted by this um, dilemma by this, by this pandemic that we're all experiencing as we get ready, many of us, to send even our kids to school. We're freshly reminded of that. Everything has changed, virtually every area of our life. Listen, including the church, 
and that wasn't enough, it's still changing as I speak on this 29th of August. But today I want to talk about one thing, one message for us that has not changed at all, and that is the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ. It has not changed at all. I want to remind us, wherever we are, wherever we're listening, what is the very purpose, and how might that purpose, which hasn't changed in 2,000 years, be all the more important, all the more important, not less important, than the day that we're living in today. 2,000 years ago, the guys and uh, friends who wrote the, 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 the writings of the Bible, okay? Um, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today if you have a copy of the Bible in the 10th chapter. But 2,000 years ago, as they're writing to different congregations, there was problems then too. In this particular congregation, we're just going to look at one passage, this writer was writing to this congregation about a retreat that they were having. They were retreating not from a pandemic, but from persecution, Okay? And he says to them, listen, I, don't, I won't read it, the last verse of the 10th chapter, listen, here's my message to you. You can see this throughout the whole book. Do not shrink back. Right? This is the 39th verse. We do not belong to those who shrink back. Do not shrink back. Be the church, even in this situation that you are in, that God intended you to be. So I'm going to borrow that title Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Be the church, follow along as I read. See what we can learn about our time today. Therefore, brothers and sisters, okay? Therefore, it's a big therefore, 10 chapters. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened up through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Be the church. Three things in this passage that were given to this congregation that I think apply to this congregation. First one is it begins with worship. Be the church. It begins with worship. The first three verses follow carefully that we read, there's a truckload of theology in three verses, and he just spent really six whole chapters summarizing the per person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, what Jesus Christ has done, remember the Old Testament people of God became the New Testament people of God. They came out of this very elaborate system called Judaism. And he's saying, listen, what it meant to get close to God, what it meant to worship God, the person and work of Jesus Christ has changed everything. We now have a new and living way. And in these verses, I'm just going to highlight this very quickly. He mentions three things that were, to you and I, they might mean who knows what that means or it's sort of old news. But to them, it was, it was very, very important. The most holy place, verse 19, the curtain, verse 20, and the great priest, verse 21. 
The most holy place was the inter-sanctuary of the temple. There was the, the, mo- the holy place, and there was some furniture, and there's some worship furniture. And then there was a curtain mentioned in verse 20. And then there was the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where you might say the, the presence of God met with people. It's a quick summary of the book of Leviticus. But let me tell you what happens in that, in, in, how many people go into that place in the Old Covenant. One person, the great priest, mentioned in verse 21, and he goes there once a year. And, it's a, and it's, a, it's a scary thing to have that job, okay? Once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people of God. And what he's saying is, listen, friends, because many of the early church, the book of Hebrews, were people who'd come out of that system. They said, listen, let me tell you something that's going to blow your mind. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, there's a whole new way. You don't need to go to the temple anymore. There's no more curtain. There's no more bear. No more bear. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, now I'll underline this, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Right? When he says that, he's not encouraging these people to become Christians. Right? He starts by saying, brothers and sisters. When he says, listen, guys, ladies, we need to draw near to God, not move away from him. We need to draw near to God. We need to worship because when we come to worship, we have the full assurance of faith and our conscience is cleansed. We're cleansed from a guilty conscience. He's not trying to say you need to become a Christian again. He's saying you need to start worshiping like a Christian again. This is what worship is. It begins with worship. I've been a Christian. You've heard me say my story here and there. For more than 35 years, I became a Christian when I was a freshman in college. I can, I can remember because I was an adult. Sometimes you don't remember when you became a Christian. For me, it was kind of distinct. But I remember it was a September. It's not always this way, but for me, it was, it was a September day in the 1980s. I became a Christian. And on that day, I believe this with all of my heart, although I didn't understand the theology at the time, all of my sins were forgiven. Right? He became sin for me who knew no sin. Whoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. I believe all of my sins were forgiven. And that day, and this day, and every day in between, I've held the promise of everlasting life. Okay, this is the gospel. It's amazing. It's it's mind-blowing. But it's what the Bible teaches. However, my heart has been under construction every single day since then. Okay, this is what our salvation is. Yes, God, is, he, he forgives me for the penalty of my sin. There's a promise because the righteousness of Christ now stands in my place. So God can look down on me when there are accusers, right? The devil, whoever it is, and, and say, this guy doesn't think right. He just stepped over a line. He's, uh, you know, this and the, he's, he's, he's a sinner. And the Lord says, he's mine. The righteousness of Christ belongs to him. You can't touch him. However, God says to me over here, Rob, we got a lot of work to do. And you need to get yourself into worship every single day because you need a greater assurance of your faith. You need to have your conscience cleansed. You need a cleansing of your, of your conscience for, for the guilt of your sin. That happens every single day. It should in your life and in my life. I need to come to have a, a, the, the cleansing of a, of, a, of a clear conscience. I need to have greater assurance of my faith. I need to have a fresh appropriation of God's love. 
You need to worship God. I need to worship God, whether it's in this room, whether it's in your small group and on your kitchen table. It's not, sim- it's not like a podcast, like you're catching up on content. Of course the gospel has content, but it's more than content. That content, that living word is supposed to come into your life every day to give you a stronger sense of your faith, to cleanse you of a guilty conscience, to apply the love of God at deeper levels in your life. It's in worship. My wrong thinking is challenged. My eyes are open to the truth about myself, about the world, and God's love. It's in worship that my eyes, the eyes of my heart are open about the truth about myself. You think I know myself fully? No, you don't either. Know my, myself relative to my own sinfulness, the depth and breadth of it? No, I don't. That I know myself more fully, that I understand and experience the, the power of God. I see the, the forgiveness of God, which has been granted in some way, you know, um, in, in, in a legal way, but is now experientially becoming real into my life, into my heart, into my mind, into my intellect, into my emotions, into every area of my life. I need that every single day, okay? It's in worship. My thinking has challenged. My eyes are open about myself, about the world, and about God's love. Think about the great story of Isaiah, those of you who know it. Many of you do. That's why it's in the Bible. The great prophet of the Old Testament, Isaiah, has this moment doesn't make any sense to us because it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's another dimension, it's another reality. But somehow he finds himself in Isaiah 6 in the very throne room of God Almighty, whatever that is. And you can read it yourself and it's this very elaborate beauty and glory and, and all these colors and, and these creatures with you know, all these wings, with wings they cover their face, with wings they fly and there's eyes all over their body. You know, what does this mean? And the prophet Isaiah finds himself there, and this is what he does. Begins with worship. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Even though he was a prophet. I'm a, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I have a guilty conscience. But my eyes have seen the king. The king of glory. And while he says that one of these unusual creatures, takes a coal from the altar underneath the throne of God and brings it and touches his lip and says, your sin is atoned. It begins with worship, okay? It begins only in worship of a holy God. Can our conscience be clean? Are we drawn away from our own selfishness and the lies of our present culture? Right? People say, you know, people seem like they're waking up. Oh, the culture's going in a different direction. The culture, the school system's going in a different direction. Where have you been? Right? You know, my goodness. First John 2.15. The, the, you know, the, the, flat, the, the things of this world have never been in alignment with the purposes of God. Okay? Psalm 73. See if this resonates. A thousand years earlier. This is not a new problem. The psalmist is having a moment with himself relative to his culture in his own heart. I think he's, he's strayed away. He's, he's you know, shrunk back from his faith and his mind is beginning to be clouded because of his lack of worship in his life. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So this is how he starts. 
He's basically saying, I don't think it's a, he's, he's trying to make a general statement saying, you know what, God, is, um, God has an, an, an order and a design and he, he works in our lives and, and he's, I'm a member of that community. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's me. That's why I thought it was me. But as for me, listen, my feet have almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. I'm falling away. I've had a hard time. I've fallen away from God. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure I'm where I once was. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right? I started to look in other places. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. You ever have one of those moments? Verse 13. Surely in vain... I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands. It says, I'll tell you why I don't go to church anymore, because it's a waste of time. That's what he's saying. All day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. Seems a little overstated. If I had spoken out like that, in other words, if I told you the truth, friend, uh, husband, wife, neighbor, if I really told you what I really felt about my faith, about what was really going on, I would have betrayed your children. The reason I'm not honest is because I don't want to harm your faith. I don't want my kids to think this or my spouse to think that. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Okay? It troubled me deeply. God is good to Israel, especially those who are pure in heart, but my life's a mess. And I wish I was like the people around me who seem to be having a better life and their kids are better and doing better and everyone seems better and they're not going to church. Why should I bother going? Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I began to have my, my guilty conscience cleansed. Then I had the assurance of my faith. Then I began to see the way of the things the way they really are. And I understood their end, and I said, oh, God, thank you, right? Thank you. It begins with worship. And let me say this very quickly. You're saying, Rob, is this, is this a big message about getting back to church? Yes and no. You need to worship, I need to worship every single day of your life. If I only did this, if I only took this prescription one day a week, I would, I would be a very weak, anemic uh, Christian. Every single day, in your kitchen table, in your small group, in this auditorium or in your home experiencing this, you need to be worshiping God, not just getting content. But is this passage also about corporate worship? Of course it is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence. Let's not... Uh, uh, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now listen, some of us listening to me in this room, you're not here because you have genuine health concerns. You do, because you're connected to your parents, your grandparents, your kids, unvaccinated kids, whatever the case may be, and you're experiencing this virtually. It's wonderful. We're committed to keeping this going. And we're going to get more innovative as we go forward. We're not going to let this pandemic the, church, the purpose of the church stays strong. But others of us are not here because we got comfortable sitting in our living rooms. Because it's kind of a pain in the side. It's, a, it's an inconvenience to 
whatever, wear a mask, not social distance, whatever the case. But let me say something. It's not just about you. Your presence here is an encouragement to other people, right? Let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And we need you. Some people have had to take a step back. Family ministry, connections ministry, parking lot ministry, outreach ministry, because of legitimate concerns. They need to be replaced by people who don't have those concerns. Are you with me? It begins with worship. Be careful. Your choice to be comfortable isn't undermining your own spiritual health. Second, it's centered in hope. I think the most important verse, one of the most important verses in the Bible, I think, as I've just been thinking uh, as your pastor lately and even this sermon, is the 23rd verse. For, for you and me today, where we happen to be living today, is the 23rd verse. One of the greatest pieces of advice is this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now think about it. He's talking to Christians. It tells you that you and I got to take, we got to be active participants in our faith. He doesn't say, by the way, <clears throat> you're saved and you're a Christian. You know, keep God in your, in the back, in your mind as you go off to work. That's what he says. Hold on unswervingly to the hope you profess. Okay? Hold on unswervingly. We are living in, you know this, a destabilizing time. Okay? What do I mean by that? We didn't just lose power for the weekend, okay? Life as we know it. Everything, grocery store, going to school, going to work, going on, not going on vacation, seeing mom and dad or not seeing mom and dad. Life as we know it has not been the same for 18 months, and it's changing still, okay? It's a destabilizing time. When times are destabilizing, let me tell you what happens. People become vulnerable, and they begin to reach out for things to hold on to. And fear gets on the rise all over the place, and people begin to retreat to their corners, and I've seen it happen in every segment of our society. So have you, right? Fear's on the rise. We have to go to places where we think we're comfortable. We can find some security, right? But let me say this, I get it, I totally respect it, but it should not be the case for people who have hope, right? That's what he's saying here. Listen, that shouldn't be your story. My fear shouldn't be rising. My shouldn't be retreating to my corner. Oh, my goodness. Hold on to your hope unswervingly. I have a hope. Right? I had this opportunity this week to go four-wheeling. Okay? I was this friend who invited me over for dinner, him and his wife. And he invited me over and he said, listen, um, we got a little time before dinner. Let's go in. Uh, I just bought some property. Would you like to see it? It's only 10 minutes drive. I said, okay, fine. Let's go. So we get over there. And then, you know, he, there's these two big four-wheelers, you know. And he says, um, he asked this question that if, if you're anybody, especially a guy, there's only one right answer to this question. Okay? <laughs> You know how to ride one of these things, don't you? <laughs> um, uh, sure, I know how to do that. Uh, I, I, what's the basics, you know? <laughs> so he gave me the basics, you know, a couple gears and this and that. It's very quick, very disciple-like, you know. He said, I, I said, okay, he goes, just follow me. 
We talked for five, not even five minutes. Just follow me. Okay. So we get going. You know, I think I missed reverse a time or two, but eventually, I'm, well, we're, we're going up hills, down hills, over uh, streams. Then one time we go into the stream, he said, listen, we stop. I figured out he's the brakes. We stop. He goes, listen, this long stream right here, he said, to save time, because dinner's cooking, we're just going to ride down this stream, okay, for a little bit. And he said, you got to put your feet up, you know, uh, up here on the fenders, it's okay, just follow me because there's this huge hole a little bit ahead up here, and, and, and I've fallen in it before, so just follow me, okay? So the good news is we had a good time, and, and I made it. But here's my point. Here's what I can say about that. Hold unswervingly to the hope that you have. You cannot drive one of those things with one hand on the wheel and one hand on your smartphone, one hand on cable news, one hand on the hottest uh, new podcast that's out there. Because if you do that, even if you're an expert like he was, you will end up in a ditch or worse. You got to have both hands on your wheel and you need to be looking at the road ahead of you. Let me say something that you already know. There are many people today, in the last 18 months, their lives are in a ditch today. And many of those people, sadly, are followers of Jesus Christ because their fears have been on the rise. They've retreated to their corners and they haven't been holding on with both hands to the hope. Hold on to your hope unswervingly. That hope is a person, is what it says in the 23rd verse, that he is faithful Right? Hold on to your hope. Let us hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. My hope is in a person, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words quickly from the, the sixth chapter. Same, same audience, same congregation. We who have fled take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We who have fled. Think about it. Look at the metaphor. We who have fled to take hold of the hope. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Or are you just kind of casually going around with one hand on the wheel and one hand on something else? Right? These are perilous times. These are destabilizing times. But you have the hope of the world. But you've got to hold on with both hands. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, present tense, as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. I think all of us need to tighten our grip on this hope. But for some of us, we need to put down that fear or that substitute hope we've picked up in the last 18 months. Okay? You can't follow Jesus with one hand on the wheel. It doesn't work that way. Listen, for the time being, we're all experiencing church in a different way. That's including all of you. Okay? I'm not just talking to the folks at home. We're all experiencing church in a different way. Let me say something. As your pastor, with, 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 um, with all my heart, and I mean this in, in, a, in a serious, thoughtful way, okay? we're all experiencing church in a different way. We need to get over it, okay? <laughs> We, we, we need to stop waiting for things to just snap back to the way that they were. Then I'll check in. Then I'll get back and share in my faith. Then I'll check in with my community and encourage one another while you see the day approaching. No, we need to get over it. 
We need to get over it, and we need to get back in the game because we live in a world where people who don't have the hope that you and I do are desperate. And they're saying, listen, I'm driving by like Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're to be a city on a hill that shall not be hidden. When everyone else runs into the hole, when everyone else retreats away, when everyone else says, we'll come out when this is over, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be on that hill, turning on that light and being the church. This may be the most important time in our lifetimes. Okay? And we're going to do everything in our power, okay, to help you stay engaged. Continue to do this. Continue to do online for those of you who need it. We're going to do Rooted. we got virtual prayer for missionaries every month. Our partnerships. We're going, to, we're going to supply every opportunity you can. Some of you can't do some things. Many of you can. Get in the game. Hold on to your hope unswervingly. Okay? Unswervingly. It begins with worship as centered in hope. Last thing. It's about reaching more people. Okay? It's about reaching more people. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Watch this. Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What's he talking about? Capital D. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. He's saying, listen, here's the truth, guys. Jesus Christ is coming back. And we know this much. We don't know the day or the hour. Jesus said that. But we know today is one day closer than yesterday. Amen. Okay? He's coming back. It's real. The stakes are real. And now you happen to be living like they were in their persecution. In a time when the lights are out in most of the rest of the world, the church needs to turn its light on. We don't need to retreat. We need to get busy. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay? Love and good deeds. You can receive sermons at home, and we're going to continue to do that for those who need it. But you can't receive wise counsel always, loving rebuke or spiritual healing. You got to get up. You got to get in the game for that. Okay? That's what I'm trying to say to you, to my friends and congregation. Let me end with this illustration. Some of you have seen, I just started watching a little late to the party, The Chosen the uh, uh, whatever it's called, the, the um, streaming thing. It's, not, it's based on the life of Jesus. They've only had a couple of seasons. I know many of you know this. I'm, I'm late to the party, as I say. Um, but um, it's really good. I think it's very well done. I think it's, it, of course, it's a drama, so there are details. They fill in some of the gaps, like any movie uh, uh, dramatization would. But I watched this episode um, just recently. It's in the first season. It's when... It's when uh, Jesus heals the, the, the man who's paralyzed. You know that story, the friends bring him. But it's, I, as I watched it and reread it in the Bible, Luke chapter 5, it really came alive to me in a new way. I saw its greater significance. Here's what happens. First, Jesus heals this, um, a leper. And it's in the time when Jesus is, is, is having kind of an easy way of it. That is to say, he doesn't have a lot of opposition yet. It's kind of the good times. It's the end of the beginning. And Jesus heals this leper and, this, and while he's healing, at least in this drama, this woman who just happens to be on this road in the middle of, um, outside of Capernaum, she sees it, she's not a disciple, and it kind of blows her mind. I mean, she sees a leper literally healed right in front of her, the leprosy disappear, 
and it's unbelievable. Now, Jesus goes on to Capernaum, same episode, and it's this episode. It's also, both of these are in Luke chapter 5. And it's this time, and I noticed when I reread it, it said, listen, Jesus with this house, I think it was of the parents of James and John of Zebedee, he's at the house, and it says, I'm sure this is, is done on purpose, not all the miracles are told, but this one has great significance. It says, people were there. They had gathered from all the towns of Galilee. Okay? So Jesus had enough good press. They were there. It says the Pharisees were there. Soldiers were there. And that's the way they depict it in this drama. So it's, 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 it's before he's in trouble. It's, before, it's just before he's, he begins on, gets on the, on, the, on the bad list, I guess. But all, there's people, all kinds of people. The everydays, you know, the poor and there's a couple soldiers, and there's even the Pharisees, and they're listening to Jesus, and it's this amazing moment, really brought to life. Then this woman shows up, who'd seen him the day before, and she's there with her, um, with her paralyzed friend and a few friends. And she, and she comes up, and there's probably, there's many people in this room, who knows? You know, maybe even less. But they're surrounding this small house, and all of those people have needs, so as she comes up to the end of it, she's trying to make her way, and she realizes this is, this, is, this is pointless. She's not any more special than anybody else. Everyone in this crowd has a need. And all of a sudden, she catches the eye of Mary Magdalene, who was also you know, a follower uh, with the disciples of Jesus, and she saw Mary Magdalene at this event. And so she locks on to Mary Magdalene. She comes up to Mary Magdalene. She says, listen, you can help me. Please help me. I saw that miracle. I know he can help my friend. And Mary Magdalene says, I'd love to help you, but I don't know what to do. You know, I mean, there's all these people. I can't, I don't have any special, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. And then, and this isn't in the scriptures, but I think it's very uh, powerful, nevertheless, the paralytic speaks up. This guy and a man say a word. He says, he says to Mary Magdalene, just try to imagine, Mary, what it would be like if you were me. And then she had this look on her face. And she teared up, and I have to be honest with you, I kind of teared up a little bit. And she said, I do remember. I was there. That I was once. That was once me. You are, you are me. And she got back in touch with her own miracle. That's why it begins with worship. It never ends. Cleansed of a guilty conscience with the assurance of faith, right? To draw near to God. And she realizes it wells up in her and she says, I know exactly what it's like to be you outside of a relationship with God, far from God's touch. And she says, maybe we can go up onto the roof, right? And they do. And Jesus, as you know the rest of the story, heals this man. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see, capital D, the day approaching. You say, Rob, uh, is Jesus coming back in, you know, 2021? Listen, I have no idea. But it's a day sooner than yesterday, I'll tell you that. And we are living in a world where many people that I know, you know, 
whether it's their stock portfolio or their wonderful family or whatever, or, or, or their, their mobility or um, their, you know, religion of a kind, where these things are not holding water the way they used to. And we need to be a city on a hill. We need to be the light of the world. We need to get in the game, spur one another on to love and good deeds, all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. All right, let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for these uh, minutes. And I want to pray, as, as friends are listening to me this morning, um, not only for us as a congregation, but I want to pray for one of our missionaries as well, Carol Mulbacher, who, like a lot of our missionaries, has um, had been furloughed for a short time. She serves in the Middle East, reaching Middle Easterners. And she's going to get back on a plane in a week and go into a place, um, not this place, to spur one another on to love and good deeds and to tell other people that the day is approaching and there's hope. So let's pray for her. Father, we thank you for Carol. We uh, thank you for the ministry that she's had for many years in this part of the world, and we pray for her that you'd be with her, you'd strengthen her, you'd encourage her. I know she's listening online this morning, and that you, Lord, would um, um, go before her and prepare for her, Lord, not only a safe journey, Lord, but um, a, um, open hearts and open ears um, to hear about the hope of the gospel. So we pray for her, and we pray for us as we are sent to, into our community right here, around people who are without hope. Use us, guide us, direct us, help us to be the church all the more in this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.